Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and listening. We are going to jump back into the book of Jonah uh, in our series on Bible meditations. Now, this will be separate from teaching through the book of Jonah, which uh, I am in the process of preparing the notes for. I've been teaching through the book of Jonah as we go out to the villages and um, try and teach some of these village churches that Brother Keith Stensis has has planted how to implement... um, a, a very guided door knocking program and also public ministry, street preaching, sign holding, track distribution, all those wonderful things. And so um, as a part of that, I, I teach through one chapter of the book of Jonah. And uh, when all those notes are complete, then I will teach through the book of Jonah on this podcast. In the meantime, we are meditating in the book of Jonah, just going through verse by verse and just looking at a single verse and doing what we can to learn from that verse and that verse alone. Uh, we, we just want to let this verse inform us what it says and um, see what principle we can glean from that. Today we're in verse 6, Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. It's a very interesting verse. The shipmaster begins asking Jonah very pointed questions. Uh, now we're going to revisit this again when we get down to verse eight, because that's that's when this idea carries over into verse eight. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. It's it's difficult not to do that. You know, there's this as I've mentioned before. As Bible believers, we've developed this mindset of putting verses together, and and that is certainly valid and important. It's, it's invaluable. Uh, but we're also instructed in the Bible to meditate on a verse. And, uh, and, and, and it's not that you can't meditate on a single verse without uh, linking, it, linking it to other things that you already know. That's, that's not a problem per se. It's just outside the purview of what we're trying to do here. Uh, but I struggle with that at times. So uh, I'm going to try not to get ahead of myself or outside the bounds within reason (laughs) of meditating on this verse. Um, God has a way of sending people into our lives. 
Uh, it's quite remarkable. And, and he sends them at just the right time to ask us very difficult and pointed questions. Um, questions are powerful. They, 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 they have a way of dealing with your conscience. Um, you know, the, the idea here seems to be that questions, these questions or, or this series of questions potentially are meant to penetrate a, a hard a hard conscience, a seared conscience, a hard heart. And um, Jonah is, Jonah's bad. He's in, he's in a bad situation. He's not doing well at all. Um, he, he is in open defiance against God. And suddenly these men start asking these very pointed questions. Um, there, there may be a time in your life when you are backsliding. Um, you could be heading down the road to do something you know you shouldn't be doing, to participate in something you know you shouldn't participate in, to be a part of something that you know as a Christian you, you don't belong. There's no relationship between you and these things that you're getting yourself involved in. And uh, I think God sends some unassuming individual, <laughs> someone you've never met or maybe somebody you've met briefly, who might know just enough about you to ask the right questions, or they know nothing about you, and still somehow they, they ask these uh, penetrating questions that once answered give details about who you are that, that will box you in and, and force you to um, act in accord with the honest responses to those questions. <laughs> It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable the way it happens, the way it works out. Um, you know, they, they, they come along, they ask these questions, and answering these questions would be disruptive to, to your current disobedient mindset. You know, when, when someone knows we're a Christian, when they know that we're, we are more than a Christian, that we are uh, fundamental in our beliefs, we are dedicated uh, we, we're, we're, we're somewhat fanatical, if you will, according to the world. I mean, it's just reasonable according to the Bible, but according to the world, you're a fanatic, you know? Um, and then they see you and start asking you questions. What are you doing here? <laughs> Where are you going? And if you, and you got to be careful how you answer those questions because there is what is expected of you as a Christian. And then there is what is, there is what, what you're, uh, potentially about to get involved in. And the two together are problematic, hypocritical. And, and so you either have to answer the question honestly and say, oh, I'm on my way to disobey God right now. Or you have to, you have to answer in such a way that does not give away what you're doing and then change what you're doing <laughs> in, order to, in order for your, your answers to coincide with your actions. And when that mismatch is allowed to continue, you're going to be one miserable human being or one mocked human being because that person is going to say, wait a minute, I thought, I thought you were a Christian. Why are you doing this? Why are you going there? And it's going to highlight a, a number of serious problems and issues. Now, these questions, they have the benefit of reinvigorating your conscience or or they're going to help you sear your conscience. They can prod you into making you know, the, the right decision all over again. It, it's, it's like God poking you, saying, so where were you going? What were you doing? 
Who were you going to do that with? What were you going to drink? What were you going to watch? What were you going to listen to? I was just wondering. Because now you have this person in front of you, and, and as a Christian, we have an understanding that our character and the way that we act and the way we live is a testimony to that person and will either help them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ or prevent them based on what, who we say that we are in accord with answering these questions alongside what we're about to go do. You got to be very careful. Not careful to not get caught. You've got to be very careful. Because the problem is the person, the person that God is um, prodding with these questions through some innocent bystander, they haven't necessarily caught them in the act. They caught them in the process of going to commit the act and asked questions that would give them a way out. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to take the way of escape? Or are you going to, are you going to keep going down that road? And so your, your answer to that question informs this person. And then once this person forms expectations of you based on the answers to your questions, now you've got to decide all over again, okay, am I going to keep, I mean, the Lord is poking me here. The Lord has given me a chance here to turn around and to go back in the right direction. What am I going to do? Now, Jonah said, you got to throw me off the boat. <laughs> I am not repenting. I am not turning around. I will not go preach to those people. You, you innocent bystanders, the mariners, the shipmaster, you're going to have to toss me over, over, overboard. Jonah could have jumped off the boat and got the same and, and given those people the same results, but no, instead in his selfish self-centered mentality, he tells them, you got to do it. I'm not going to do it. You got to do it. You know, there's a preacher in, out of Missouri. He used to say, this is the insanity of sin. <laughs> it makes you an insane person. It can, make, it can cause you to do some really unbelievably stupid things. So, uh, so, so now, will you, in light of the answers to these questions, continue in your disobedience, or will you allow the honest answer to these questions to stand and direct you back into a direction of repentance and, and obedience? What, what will you do? How will you respond to God sending someone to ask you those type questions? They will deal with your heart. The question remains, will you respond to that dealing? Will you respond to this opportunity to escape the direction you've chosen to go in? Jonah did not. That doesn't mean you or I have to follow in Jonah's footsteps. We don't have to force God to go further and further and further when we can just take this moment and say, I'm a Christian, I belong to God. You don't, have, you don't even have to tell that person, I was on my way to sin against God. You can just right there, repent in your mind. You can go pray and deal with the Lord in a more open manner alone later. But when that person is asking you those questions, stop. Answer those questions and then proceed in the right direction. And, and it'll go a long way. Um, when, when you're trying to accomplish something sinful and that person comes along and begins to ask you, <laughs> what's your name? Where are you from? Uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, and answering those questions is going to make, is going to make you, is going to make manifest your hypocritical attitude, your indifferent attitude, your disobedient attitude. Um, 
that's an opportunity for you to change your tune and to do it quickly. And, and I pray that you will. Um, the questions will somehow become, as that person asks more and more questions, as you tell them more and more about who you are, it, it's difficult for me to talk to people that don't know me and tell them who I am without mentioning my relationship with God, my service to God, my um, attachment to the word of God. It's with the way that my, my family and I, the way that our lives are structured, it's nigh unto impossible. It's very difficult. Um, I, I would really have to avoid major sections of my life <laughs> to not tell someone about this relationship between me and God and, and this connection and, and, um, and my service to the Lord. It would be nigh unto impossible. I'd have to, basically, I'd have to lie. And um, I'm not willing to do that. I hope I never get to a point that I'm willing to do that. But as they ask more and more questions, it becomes, it gets closer and closer and closer to your relationship to God. And then you got to tell them, and well, now they know. And so what am I going to do? Am I going to act like I belong to God or am I going to act like a reprobate who says they belong to God? And then potentially put this person's soul in further danger because they met a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, who was failing in his ambassage. And uh, we don't want to do that. Um, when you know you shouldn't be where you are or doing what you're doing, and God sends this person along, thank the Lord that they came, answer the questions honestly, and, and turn, change direction. Um, the answers to many of these pointed questions will then shape assumptions about the character of a Christian in the mind of the person asking the questions. We all know that. Lost people, they might hate God and hate Christianity, but they have a, a measure, a, sometimes a reasonable measure as to how Christians should and should not act. That's amazing. And, and it can be a convicting guide. It, it, uh, it, it, it holds you to a standard that you know you have to try and keep, and that's, that's important. Praise the Lord for that, that standard. Uh, or you must lie about the answers, or at least mislead with your answers, so that you can continue doing whatever it is you've set out to do that you know you should not be doing. I don't recommend that route. Uh, I, I would highly dissuade going that way either way it will provide a means of escape but you must choose to take the escape nobody's going to force you nobody's going to make you it's your decision now the questioning of jonah begins here in verse six and then continues in verse eight and of course we're going to try to deal with verse six alone but the first question is what meanest thou O sleeper <laughs> that this has to be among the greatest, most convicting verses in the Bible or phrases in the Bible. What meanest thou, O sleeper? I can't tell you, when, we, when my wife and I were on deputation, the number of pastors we met who, that was often between Sunday morning and Sunday evening or, or whatever the case may be, the question was often, did you take a nap? <laughs> did you get a nap? It's, no, I didn't. No, there, there are other things that need to be accomplished that I need to do. And, and look, you know, I, there is nothing wrong with taking a nap every now and then because you have been laboring 
so so intensely that you need your body needs a rest but you know if if that's the case or and you know if your life is just so leisurely just so idle that taking naps is just the everyday part of that idleness there's an argument to be made for people who work so hard they need to stop and take a nap every now and then they they need to get that extra rest and and there's nothing wrong with that Uh, but there's a serious problem if you don't work hard you you spend the majority of your time kicked back in a recliner watching football or american idol or whatever it is that people watch these days and still need a nap (laughs) having done nothing all day and no 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 with no intention of doing anything i think i'll go take a nap wake up what meanest thou O sleeper that needs to stop especially if you're being financially supported by god's people who go out and work all day and don't have the opportunity to take a nap if those people are paying you to serve god and to minister to them you know they who minister the gospel they 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 should and could and 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 would live of the gospel nothing wrong with that but but sleeping half the day and taking naps in the middle of the day having done nothing but slumbered slumbered all day that is not that is not acceptable and and needs to stop now if you can picture this scene though um (laughs) the mariners are scared for their life they're terrified they're laboring to keep this ship afloat and even even keep it together if they can they're dumping cargo they're calling upon their gods they're doing everything in their power to stay alive Jonah is sleeping. That, that is amazing to me. You ha- and this is a beautiful picture of families, of churches, of society. You know, you, you have a family. The husband is working, working himself to the bone. You got a wife at home who won't do anything. Or you have a wife at home who does everything she's supposed to do. She's faithful. She keeps that house uh, in good order. She takes great care of those children. And you got a lazy husband who won't provide for them. He kicks back playing PlayStation or whatever you play today as a grown man, as a grown loser. And, and instead of taking care of his family, he's lazy. Or you have a society. You have a society of people who uh, everyone wants the government to give them things. They want churches to give them things. Nobody wants to work for it. You got people laboring to do right, and you got a huge portion of society just sleeping, lazy. They've got Facebook, they've got Instagram, TikTok. I mean, they've got all the social media sites that you could imagine. <laughs> they want to be an influencer, whatever that is. You're lazy. You have a church. It's estimated that less than 10% of the people in a church do all the labor, all the giving. And, and put everything into that church that needs to happen. That is unacceptable. Why? That's how it is. Now, and of course, we've all been in a situation where, where you're working alongside someone who, who is lazy, who won't do what they're supposed to do, and then they may, they may or may not be sleeping, but when considering their, their work ethic, they may as well be sleeping. <laughs> There's no difference. Whether they're awake or asleep, it's hard to tell that 
that, that there's any real difference. Um, but because of their lazy, slothful mentality, the rest of the load falls on everyone else. That's that 10% in a church. That's the, the, the laboring wife and the lazy husband or the, or the hardworking husband with a lazy wife. Um, and then that's society um, as a whole. Um, it's frustrating. It's difficult. It makes, it, it makes someone who enjoys working frustrated or they become, um, uh, they become you know, angry at, at having to perform the work that they're performing because the person alongside them is so lazy and they're taking on work that, is, that is, was not meant for them, but they have to do it anyways because nobody else is going to do it and they have too much work ethic to allow it to go undone. And so you got to cherish people like that and take care of them. What meanest thou? What a great question. Um, what are you doing? Well, how come everybody's out here working and you're just sitting here? How come everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing and you're asleep? And, and everybody has all these excuses, but those excuses fall apart when we start talking about this person and that person and those people who have all been able to accomplish what God expects them to accomplish or finish their work in a, in a timely manner, in a, in, a, in, a, in a reasonable manner, but somehow you can't. Something's not right and needs to be worked out. How can it be that we are working tirelessly, Jonah, <laughs> to save our lives and you're asleep down on the side of the ship? Have you lost your mind? And the answer is yes. The, it's the insanity of sin. We're about to die. This ship is about to go down and you're asleep. And it's your fault. It, you're the reason, you're the cause that it's happening. Um, what's the meaning behind your slothful, careless, selfish attitude? We become lazy. We become lazy, all of us, when, when, we, ha when we establish an inordinate balance between labor and reward. When, when we find ourselves in a position that allows laziness to go unpunished, that is, people in our lives reward us with food, money, comforts, etc., despite unwillingness to work, then we can convince ourselves that laziness is merited. You, you don't want to establish that improper balance. Uh, even if, if people are enabling you, you need to break out of that slumber. You need to wake up, arise, go get to work. Um, in American Christianity, it is unbelievably easy to be a lazy Christian. In fact, it seems at this point, our churches are almost structured that way. We don't expect anything of you. We have no standards to speak of. We don't really care if you do something or not, as long as you show up every now and then and put some money in the, in the offering plate. That, that has caused our churches to die. They're, they're, they're either dead or they're dying. Now, some are flourishing, but they, don't, they, they do not have this lazy, laid-back American mentality. American Christians can ride the coattails of faithful servants around them because pastors and brethren have become uncomfortable telling people they are spiritually lazy. 
Many of our pastors have lost their spine. They've lost their backbone, especially in a world of cancel culture. They're terrified to speak up or say something. And now, again, this is not all churches. I know plenty of churches that are doing great. They have great standards. They are fundamentally sound. They adhere to the word of God. They preach boldly the word of God, and they're doing wonderful. Um, But they are far and few in between. And that's scary. If someone does tell them, (laughs) here we go, it is more likely they will get mad and leave going down the road to the next Baptist church who will gladly take them and allow them to ride their coattails for a while as long as they show up and throw a dollar or two in the offering plate. There are too many many Baptist options in, in American society. And so when someone gets mad or doesn't like what you say, they just go to the next church. And those churches don't adhere to any, any real spiritual biblical discipline. So instead of saying, where did you come from? What happened there? <laughs> they just say, welcome. Glad you're here. And, uh, and, and it's, it's a problem. Oh, sleeper, arise. This is, this, is, this is literally what needs to happen in Christianity across the world. The current state of Christian participation in Christianity is abysmal. We need people to wake up and arise, stop sleeping, stop the laziness, stop the indifference, stop the self-centered lifestyles. Esteem others better than yourself. Now, Again, if we were running cross-references, that's where I'd go, but we're not doing that. <laughs> the Bible is clear about what we need to be doing on a daily basis, and it is not getting done. Not, not by a long shot. You know, there's a reason that Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and the LGBTQ plus communities, as corrupt and perverse as they are, there's a reason they are growing rapidly. They evangelize. Hmm. They defend their values. They preach publicly and in church. Uh, They hold signs. They disciple new believers. They distribute literature. They also riot in the daytime and in the night. Now, of course, we don't have any relationship to rioting, but everything else on that list is what we are supposed to be doing. And we're not. But they are, and look what's happened. What would America look like if American Christians turned off the television, put down the cell phone, turned off the computer, and went out into the real world to preach the gospel? Now, I want you to listen to this. Just a few years ago, homosexuals were less than 1% of the U.S. population. Not, not long ago, they were less than 1%. Now, some, some stats say they are potentially as high as 7% of the population. That, now, that's, in about, that's, about a, that's probably about 10 to 12 years worth of stats. About 10 to 12 years ago, they were less than 1% of the population. Today, they are just over 7%, estimated just over 7% of the population. How is that? They evangelize. They preach their good news, whatever that is. They go in the schools and teach your children. They go out publicly and hold up signs and stand up for what they believe. Christians will not do any of that. This is what evangelism in public, online, and in the schools can accomplish without the Holy Spirit. 
How would it go with the help of the Holy Spirit preaching a righteous and holy message rather than perversion? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. What are you going to do with it? Call upon thy God. This may be among the most needed exercises in our world today. Wake up, then go call upon God. (laughs) Amen. Not the gods. Call upon the true and living God. We desperately need his help to confront the mass confusion and perversion that characterizes the modern world. We have lazy Christians and Christians who go through life never calling upon God. Both need to be reconciled immediately. And they said, if so be that he will think upon us. Everyone wants God's favor without doing what God said. I remind you, these are lost men. These are lost men in a hopeless and desperate situation, and they think the answer is somebody needs to go call upon God. The present evil world is butchering children because someone convinced them they could use a surgical knife to magically change their gender. Men are adopting babies, then attempting to breastfeed that child. That is, that is sick. You are demented. This is mass confusion purported to be normal, and it plays out practically as child abuse. Legal child abuse, by the way. We are supposed to pretend it is acceptable so that we do not offend or hurt the fragile feelings of 7% of our population. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that conservatism or Republicans are going to fix this. You need to wake up and call upon God. That we perish not. This is in part the crux of the issue. I'm saved. I'm not going to perish. So I'm just going to kick back and enjoy television in the comforts of this world while everybody else dies and goes to hell deeply seated in confusion. What meanest thou? Arise, call upon thy God. Do something to help to help transform and change this present evil world with the word of God. Without God, people perish. Jonah wanted these the, the, the people from Nineveh to perish. What motivates your personal lazy and different attitude? I'd take some time and think about that. Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.